God, as your children, it is our joy to sing of your greatness and sit under the shadow of that truth, God. We give you praise and all of us together in Jesus' name say amen. Amen. Be seated. Be seated. Well, it is my goal and prayer this morning that we can together jump into this season of Thanksgiving and have our hearts prepared and and understand really the, the centrality of the act of giving thanks to the Christian life. And they go hand in hand together. I do want to point your attention real quickly to the little hashtag up there. You'll see Paseo gives, gives Thanks. We did this last year. We want to repeat it for the next couple of weeks as we get into Thanksgiving. If you would, just on social media, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, uh, just share things that you are thankful for and include that little hashtag on there, Paseo Gives Thanks. Uh, there's a couple of reasons for that. One, I just think it's nice to share an attitude of gratitude with the world around you, right? Uh, let everybody know that, that we are thankful to someone, not just for some things. We are, are thankful to God for what he has blessed us with. But another cool kind of thing that Amy and I were talking about last year that we loved, we got here right before Thanksgiving last year, and we got to know many of you through that hashtag, because if you click on that hashtag on Facebook or Instagram, you get to see everybody that has shared something with that hashtag. So we got to see into a lot of your lives and see what's going on there. So just a neat way for us as a community to, to share thankfulness uh, together. So if you would join me in that effort as we go into this season of Paseo Gives Thanks. All right, so uh, enough of that. I'm excited to uh, jump in this morning. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. There are Bibles in the chair in front of you. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you don't own a Bible, we'd love for you to take that one home. That's our gift to you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Uh, it's towards the second half of the New Testament. Keep on flipping past Ephesians, Philippians, all that, uh, and you will get to, to 1 Thessalonians. Chapter 5, Paul is, is, is writing, and, and starting in verse 18, we, or 16, we just have three short verses this morning to kind of set the stage for us to understand the centrality of, of, of gratefulness in our heart. So starting in verse 16 through verse 18, I'll, I'll read these three short verses. We'll share a prayer and we'll jump into our study together this morning. So, so Paul writes in the conclusion of this letter, Rejoice always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, this morning as we have just sat together and and offered our praise to you. We thank you for your spirit making yourself known in this room. We give you praise and we pray don't stop, God. Shape us, form us with your scripture, with your truth, with your spirit, that we might be more in love with you, more obedient to you, more connected to you, more comforted in you when we leave than when we came in. We pray that in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. I love these, these last few words of, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. As a pastor, I get asked questions about, from people, just advice in their situations frequently. Hey, what, what is God's will for me in this circumstance? Or how do I know God's will for me in this circumstance? How do I discern God's will? And I get that. We, we have these transitions in our life where we want to know, hey, specifically, what does God want me to do right here, right now? And the truth is that the Bible doesn't speak details around 
around specifics. You've got to listen into the Holy Spirit, learn to, to follow God. But it speaks a lot into the general of what God's will is for your life. And here's the funny thing. Do you know what, as, as you are, are trying to weigh what job do I need to have, what, what career, do you, doesn't matter what job you do, you know what God's will for you is in that job? For you to be rejoicing always, for you to be praying continually, and for you to be giving thanks in every circumstance. How do I know it? Because the Bible said so, Right? And so we often cry out for the specific details of God's will when we tend to shy away from the general details of God's will. And so often it is the general will of God that really brings impact to our lives. It's what changes it. So you can step into whatever job it is that you think God is calling you. And if you don't have that attitude, your effectiveness for the kingdom is going to be terrible, right? At the same time, you can step into what you think is a menial job, and yet with that attitude can bring great impact to everybody around you. It is God's will for your life to be these things no matter what, right? That's God's will. So we circle that and understand that God's will for our life are these three things. To understand the, the role this plays in this book, I just, I just kind of want to back up a little bit. Um, Thanksgiving is, is my, by far my favorite holiday. I, I love that for my family growing up, it is, it is the big holiday. It is what all of my family comes to since I was, since I was a little kid or a, a young kid. I wasn't little. Um, but <laughs> since I was a young kid, all the folks in my family would travel out to my little country town that only me and Riley know where it is. And they, we would, everybody would be out on the ranch and we'd have 30, 40 people. And, and my mom would put, cook this big spread. Now we do it in Dallas and it is just tradition. It, I love it. And my mom, she has many gifts and cooking is high up on that list. And so this impoverished body just loves uh, when I get home and you smell mama's cooking coming out of the kitchen and the smells of Thanksgiving are just amazing, aren't they? You wake up that morning, mom gets up early. She's starting on the yeast rolls way early in the morning. You smell that out. The, the pie is coming out of there. It is, I, it, yes, Lord. Uh, and and I, get, I get excited about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Told you I was going to get you in the mood for Thanksgiving. Man. You thought I meant in a spiritual way. Um, no, I am, and that's my goal. Um, but here, here's why I bring that up. In, in my mom's kitchen, she has kind of over to the side of the stove this little tin can. And inside of it, you open up, and there's note cards with recipes that she has collected over her lifetime. And many of them came from, from older women in her church growing up. And so she's been passed down these recipes. And these recipes are like faded yellow and ugly. They're older than I am. And so she pulls them out, and she writes on the back of them the details of who gave her that recipe. kind of. And it's just a neat treasure trove of her life. And so what happens is I, I get spoiled, and I sit in the, in the living room watching football, and I smell the, the smells coming out of the kitchen of kind of the final product of all the work that she's and I wasn't there when she was doing all the work and pulling out those recipes and putting the ingredients in that led to the final product that gives that smell you following me well Paul describes the life of a Christian as being unique he says in fact in first Corinthians or excuse me second Corinthians chapter 2 that we are the aroma of Christ that God is spreading everywhere this, this picture that you and I and the way we live ought to be so different that it gives the aroma of Christ everywhere we go, that it just lingers with people, this, 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 this smell in their nostrils of their soul going, what is that? In, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul, Paul writes this. We actually think this is the first of his letters that he's ever written. And so he writes it to one of his very first church plants in the, uh, the, the church in this little Greek town. And, and he, he saw many of them come to know Christ. 
Christ. But then he began, he and Silas began facing persecution and they're ran out of town. And he's worried about this young church that he's left behind because they're facing persecution. They're getting killed. They're getting arrested for their faith in Jesus as their neighbors don't like it. And so he's worried about them. So he writes this letter as a way of encouraging them because first he sends Timothy to them. And Timothy comes back with this awesome news. Timothy tells them, hey, they're doing great. They've been persecuted. They've been beaten. There's a lot going on there. But actually, the church is growing, and their heart and their love for Christ is growing. And so Paul is so encouraged, in order to fan that flame, he writes the letter of 1 Thessalonians to them, and he sends it to them in the midst of all of their persecution. And he does it with the central theme at hand. The big theme of 1 Thessalonians is that as Christians who have been given life in Christ, our life is to be different than the world around us. He's trying to encourage the whole reason the church is getting persecuted is because their life is different than everybody else's around them. And so Paul doesn't want that to go away. He is telling them that is actually what gives the power to your testimony. You are to live life differently. And the word in the Bible for a life that is different is the word holy. It it, it is separated away from different as God is different from mankind. The Christian life is to be holy. It's to be different. So in chapters 3 and 4, you see him talking about, hey, Christian marriage and sexuality is just different than the world around you. We're called to a holy life in what we do. He talks about how, how when we go to work, Christians ought to be the hardest workers there are so that your bosses and the other employees there want to know what gives, what's going on, and we can give testimony to Jesus that there ought to be something different about us in the way we work. And so he is pushing them to holiness. But by the way, he's doing this in the face of persecution. Because he tells them, chapter 3, he has these big words. He says, for you know that we are destined to face trials of many kind. And I just want to say that out loud. Because we live in a world that loves the prosperity gospel. That evidently, if you live, love Jesus, you don't ever face troubles of any kind ever again. Except for the Bible tells the exact opposite. And the Bible says, actually, we're destined. Everybody on this side of heaven faces trials. And this, by the way, is the whole point of what Jesus has done for us. And Paul often finds himself trying to encourage people in the face of trials. And the way he does that is he encourages them about what is ahead. He says there is a place where there are no tears and there is no pain and there are no trials. And Jesus has prepared that place for us. That is our hope in Jesus Christ. And the way he encourages people to endure the present troubles is by having them look ahead to their future joy. Right? The two go hand in hand. And so often we don't talk about our future joy and we just want the troubles here to go away. And in scripture, God doesn't do that. Instead, he says, no, in this side of heaven, everybody, even Jesus, when he came, hurt because this is a fallen, broken place. And the difference for Christians is not that we don't hurt and the rest of the world does, but it's that we hurt differently. We endure differently. In chapter four of this book, Paul famously says a verse that we share a lot at, at funerals, that we mourn differently. We mourn with like people with hope and the rest of the world. We're just meant to be different. And the difference is that we endure differently. So in the face of all of that, he says there ought to be an aroma that just, that is just coming off your life that people are going, what is that? What is different about them? I think he ends this entire book in this section of chapter 5 here with an ingredient list 
of how you get that kind of life. That, that these three simple ingredients of rejoicing always, pray continually, and give thanks in every circumstance are, are, the, are the ingredients. And you got to start. So I just want to walk through these ingredients because I think they build on each other. So let's start first with, with rejoice always. Re- rejoice always. By the way, look at this ingredient list. It's not just that, that God desires us to be people of joy and people of prayer and people of gratitude. It's not just because plenty of people in this world have joy. Christians aren't unique to that. Plenty of this peop- people in this world uh, pray. And when things get tough, they'll, they'll pray and, they, and they're, they're driven to it. Plenty of people in this world say thank you and they're grateful. What makes the Christian life different is not so much those commands in themselves, but the qualifiers behind each of those commands. He doesn't just say pray. Look at what he says. Or he doesn't just say rejoice. Look what he says. Rejoice always. Wait a second. It's natural to rejoice when things are good. But he says rejoice always. That this just is a part of your life, whether they're good or bad, rejoicing happens. He doesn't just say pray and make that important. He says pray continually. And he doesn't just say give thanks and when things are good. He says in every circumstance. You see, the qualif- that is what makes the Christian aroma of life just different in the midst of why. That's what makes us endure differently and, and, and engage differently. So let's walk through this. Rejoice always, he says. Rejoice always. What, what, what are we to be rejoicing in? Salvation. In Philippians 4, by the way, Paul lists these exact same three ingredients rejoicing, gratefulness, or or thanksgiving in the heart, and presenting your petitions to the Lord with prayer. So the same three ingredients of of rejoicing. And and here's what I like that he does in Philippians 4. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say it, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord. We're not just rejoicing to rejoice. Now, don't get me wrong. We're grateful for, for all the things that God blesses us with in life. Uh, James tells us that, hey, don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of light, with whom there is no shifting or change. Right? He is the giver of every good and perfect gift. So we can look around our life, and we are to be thankful for those things. But the thing that should be primary on our list of what we rejoice for, which should be the top of the list, is I am thankful for the finished work of Jesus Christ. If you are a Christian, that ought to be on the top of the list of what you're thankful for and what you rejoice in. And not just what you rejoice in sometimes, but what you always, every day, rejoice in is the finished work of what Jesus has already done for me. I am forgiven. I am a child of God. I do have eternity promised to me. These are mine in Christ Jesus. And I rejoice on that every day, always. Why does he prescribe that? Why does he prescribe that? Because if we don't do that, I think we become guilty of being directly disobedient to Jesus' own words. Jesus said, store up your treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy instead of on earth where they do destroy. What is he saying? If you make things on this earth, people, relationships, possessions, What you are most joyful and thankful for, you make them your treasure, then you are setting yourself up for hurt and pain when they all go away. Does that make sense? He's not saying don't be thankful for them, but don't make those things your treasure. You make the one thing that no matter what circumstances may change, will never change about you, Jesus, to be what you rejoice in. 
what you're most thankful. I love the word rejoice. It literally means repeat and joy smashed together, right? So repeat your joy in Jesus over and over and over again, where you wake up in the morning and you are telling yourself what is true of Jesus in your life, that, these, that I have the right to, to make this number one, because here's what happens. If you don't do that, because what happens, I think, a lot of times for Christians is that we're thankful for Jesus, but we rejoice in other things. I rejoice over sporting events. I rejoice over possessions. I rejoice over my kids. I rejoice over my wife. I rejoice over all these things. And they are good things. I'm thankful for them. But I, I don't repeat every day rejoicefulness in Jesus. I'm rejoiceful. What, what do I set myself up for? Well, if those are the things that I've, I've been repeating my joy over and over and over again. My, da- my daughter, by the way, I like that little kids do this. I don't like that little kids do this. I lied. Um, you know, they get a song that they like, and they just want to listen to that same song. What is it? You have my daughter at your house. What? Baby, baby, baby. Stupid Justin Bieber, all right? I can't. <laughs> baby, baby by Justin Bieber. My daughter on repeat always. She gets in Joe's car. That's what she wants to listen to. My car. I'm, I'm over it. Can't do it anymore. But that child loves that song, and she just has it on repeat. She wants it to get in her little room. She has an Alexa in her room. She tells Alexa, I played play Baby by Justin Bieber. Oh, my gosh. Um, she just loves it. Stuck in her head. Um, and the idea of Christianity is that we, we're supposed to have this song on repeat of joy in Jesus over and over and over again. And when we don't, here's what happens. When, when your joy is in your health, or your joy is in your relationships, or when your joy is in your stuff, and those things are no longer there, then you look to God and you say, where are you in your goodness? When all the while you still are in possession of the greatest gift that God has ever given, Jesus Christ. The problem is not that God is not good, but that we weren't rejoicing in what is greatest. We were rejoicing in secondary gifts. Does that make sense? So we rejoice always in the thing that will never be taken from me. Jesus has paid the price and I am with God forever. And that finished work is done. I am his. I rejoice in that. And that is my reality. And every day I wake up and you got to lead your heart here, by the way. Because let's be honest, sometimes we wake up and we don't want to rejoice in that. And sometimes, like making a kid brush their teeth, I don't care you don't want to do that. You don't need to have stanky breath. So go brush your teeth, okay? You need to tell your heart at times, I don't care if you don't want to feel like praising this morning. You need this, whether you realize it or not, rejoice in Jesus today, right? So we do this always. And then it leads to this second ingredient, that, that when you are rejoicing in Jesus always, you can now pray continually, I love this because this is the great result of what Jesus has done for us. Is that our prayer is not isolated down to a, a single place and time. Like I don't, you don't have you don't have to show up to the church building in order to pray. You can pray anywhere. Because that's what Jesus has done. The whole point of Jesus is that he's removed every barrier and you and now and I now have a relationship with God. He is ours. Anywhere you go, God is with you right? Any situation you are in, God is with you. You don't have to wait for a moment in time. You're in the car, talk to God. You're at your office, talk to God. You're in the classroom, talk to God. You're struggling with the, with the conversation, don't know what to say, you talk to God. God is yours always. That's the spoiled riches of what it means to be saved by Jesus Christ, right? That's awesome stuff. But that is mine always, no matter the situation. And that is what makes Christianity unique, by the way, that we don't follow a set of rules, 
We don't follow a, a sevenfold path of things you have to do in order to have a blessed life. Oh, we follow a way and a truth and a life. His name is Jesus. And I have a relationship, not with a guy that died 2,000 years ago and is still dead, but is living today, that is guiding me in my relationships. And so when I am rejoicing in what Jesus has done for me always, and I'm living out of praying a relational prayer with him continually everywhere I go. I love that Charles Spurgeon says that when you marry rejoicing with prayer, their firstborn child is gratitude. I like that. That, that when those two things are in your life, all of a sudden it changes how you see everything. Because when you see that God's greatest gift is yours and you're taking advantage of that every day, living life through this relationship with God, you look around and all of a sudden you see God's goodness everywhere. It's why I hear testimony from nurses when I go to hospitals and they say, hey, that guy's just really happy. (laughs) But he's in a hospital room and the world would say that he should be miserable right now, that he should be scared right now. And yet he has peace. What gives? Paul talks about this, by the way, and I'm not saying you don't get to cry when you're sad. Jesus cried. Paul talks about how when he was in jail, he had full of sorrow and yet rejoicing. And that's the key. It's okay to have sorrow, but what the world doesn't have when they have sorrow is they don't have joy hanging out with it. Make sense? And our joy is that I have a God who can make even the worst things good. That's a promise to me. He works out all things for the good of those that love him. That's a promise to me that he can even take the worst circumstance that I can possibly imagine and somehow bring out good. I have have a a friend that's a worship pastor back in Arkansas where I was. And a couple of years ago, his 14-year-old son died, which is just, it devastated the community where he was. I can't imagine as a dad. I just can't wrap my mind around that. This week, he was, he's preparing for a big community-wide Thanksgiving service, and he just shared something on Facebook, and with his permission, I, I want to share it with you. Um, this is what it says. His name is Aaron Jackson. He said, to be honest, I have trouble with worship songs in Scripture that talk about God never failing me or forsaking me or letting me down because I have been, quote-unquote, let down by God. And not just with our 14-year-old son's passing, but did he fail me? He says, it's impossible to fail something that isn't a test or competition or promise. God didn't promise us he would completely insulate us from calamity. In fact, Jesus said the opposite. We will have it. My problem with those he'll never phrases is that they can paint a false narrative of a rose-colored, rose-garden life that may cause some people to stumble. However, I'm grateful for those phrases because they force me to wrestle with the reality that his ways are not my ways and his thoughts are not my thoughts. And he did promise that he can use all things for the good of those who love him. Mm. What seems like a letdown or failure in my small vaporous eyes, God may have allowed because he knew in view of eternity that it was the better thing. So this morning, even through tears, I loudly sing, not for a minute was I forsaken. Isn't that powerful? That's directly, I mean, that's a mourning dad that just opened up his heart. I don't want you to see what he did. He was leading his heart there. Circumstances are screaming out to him, where is your God now? He has let you down. Scripture is screaming out something totally different. And so he took his heart by his hand. 
and said, you will come with me and you will rejoice and be grateful in every circumstance. Hear what he says. He does not say you'll be grateful for every circumstance because your gratitude isn't based on the circumstances. You're grateful in every circumstance. Because God can make even the worst of things bring about good. And by the way, that's an eternal promise. I don't care how dark and dirty a life ends on this side. If they are in Jesus, their life ends in good. Right? And that is true for you and I. He will fulfill that promise. So this Thanksgiving, I'll... I'll get home, and, and this is going to be a hard Thanksgiving for us. It's the first Thanksgiving without my grandfather, without my uncle. And typically our whole family will gather around all 30-plus of us and the friends that we invited and the neighborhood dogs or whoever we're feeding. And we gather and we hold hands, and, and in that spot I'm going to be crying like a baby because normally it's my grandfather that prays that prayer of thankfulness. And this year it'll be me. But in that circle, there are also, while two male faces will be gone, there's a new male face they'll be in, as my brother had a son this year. And it's just kind of that circle of life that you see, and that happens. But you know what I love? Even in that moment when tears will be running down my face, that there will be tears that are matched with joy. Because I know, I know it's my grandfather's first real Thanksgiving service. And that is something that I get that the world doesn't. It's something that you get. And in that, in that hope and the joy that is ours, we are the aroma of life to the world around us. Because we can rejoice always. And we can pray continually. And we can give thanks in every circumstance. And that is is the Lord's will for us in Christ Jesus. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the promise of that, the joy of that. And we can rejoice and, and, and not have to be heavy hearted. That you are good and on your, you're on your throne and that doesn't change when circumstances do. And that we can rejoice in you always, knowing that, that you are at work and we trust in that. So, Father, I, I just pray that your Holy Spirit would minister to us this morning. That as your people, you would, you would stir in this place that our hearts would match what Paul writes there. That we would truly be doers of this. That we would, we would have hearts that rejoice and find themselves in you, Jesus, as the greatest treasure there is. And when, when we try to treasure other things more than you, God, just lead us, guide us, convict us. Do what you need to do, God, that we put you in your rightful place in our heart. God, bring this message back up to all of our hearts throughout the week to come that we just rejoice in you over and over. We rejoice in Jesus. And we look around at our blessings and we have them in right perspective and we say thank you. Father, help us to to live life with you in connection with you. We just, we're so, so grateful that though we're still on this side, we're not on this side alone. 
that you are with us. You comfort us in our sorrows. You, you guide us in our, in our worries. and You give us rest in our anxieties. God, you cheer with us in our joys. You bring about newness from broken seasons. You, you are constantly with us at work. And so, Father, I pray that you make us a holy people. It's the people that, that step into this, that these ingredients would be in our life, and we just step into this with joy, that we would live you out, not in a way that looks down on anybody else, God, but just in a way that lives out the promise of your joy to the world around, that they might also get to have the peace that we have. So, Father, we give ourselves to you. We love you. We love you. And we are thankful for Jesus Christ. Amen.